Here's a photo of two versions of an original Transformer toy. This is one of the early ones. Some of you may have had these around your house for your kids. Some of you younger ones may have played with them. The basis of a Transformer toy was that it started as one thing and it became another thing at the hands of the child playing with it. Transformation. Change. It is a constant in our lives whether we want to admit it or not. It is said that change is hard and it's true that some people are more resistant to change than others. Let's look at how the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines transformation. A complete or major change in someone or something's appearance or form. A complete or major change in someone or something's appearance or form. People use the word transformation to talk about the remodeling of a house or when someone gets a makeover. The house or person undergoes a major change and ends up looking different. It is understandable to think that transformation for Christians means we improve ourselves or our behavior so that we appear more Christ-like. That is only partly true. In this message and several that follow, we will be looking at Christ-likeness. Say Christ-like. That happens in a person who has a relationship with Jesus Christ within whom the Holy Spirit of God has taken up resonance and has begun the process of transformation. One of the key texts in the Bible that speaks of transformation in our lives is found in Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. These verses are a launching pad text for this series that we're going to venture into on the subject of transformation. I will refer to it frequently might be a scripture that is worth committing to memory. Romans 12, 
1 and 2. In building a basis for this series, I'd like to take a few moments this morning and point out some highlights of these two verses. Firstly, Paul is urging those who are brothers and sisters, in other words, people who are already redeemed or saved. Godly transformation, this is point one, godly transformation can only occur in saved people. Godly transformation, total change, complete makeover can only occur in saved people. People who are redeemed. In brothers and sisters, this is Christian transformation. Christ-like change, listen, Christ-like change doesn't happen in those who do not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You with me? Paul uses the phrase, by the mercies of God. There are those who have placed themselves within the mercy of God through their relationship with the Lord Jesus. They've placed themselves, they've positioned themselves within the, the umbrella of the mercy of God through the Lord Jesus. Are you okay? Those are people who have, have placed themselves through their relationship with Jesus. Let me ask you, friend, have you started into a life with Jesus? Have you received him into your life? And therefore, are you under the umbrella of his mercy? If not, I urge you to do it today. To come to Christ for forgiveness of your sins, and he will become part of your life and start the process of transformation. Number two, our part in this process is sacrifice or surrender. I'm building a floor for the next couple of weeks, folks. Our part, our role, our position in this process is surrender. We are told to present our bodies as living sacrifices. A sacrifice is something that is literally laid down before the Lord as an offering. A sacrifice. The biblical idea of sacrifice has in its very nature the way of approaching God. Finding acceptance before him by means of an acceptable substitute offered in place of the sinner and bearing the curse of sin. 
So in laying out or laying down a sacrificial offering, we become, listen, we become acceptable to God and are able to come into closeness with him. The difference here is we get to stay alive. Huh? Living sacrifice. This has to have been strange wording and terminology for those, especially of the Jews of that culture. Because, because in, the, in, the, in the history of the Jewish religion, the bedrock principle was a sacrifice brought to the temple brought to the priest, that sacrifice is slain, it's laid out on an, op, on an altar, and it is consumed by fire as a sweet savor unto the Lord so that we might become acceptable in the presence of God. No other way. And then Passover would come. <laughs> and Passover was one offering once a year by one high priest for everyone. Boy, who's that point us to? Oh, my. Friends, he's our great high priest. The pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament, I could divert way away from our sermon topic here. The sacrifice is brought, it is consumed by the fire, and it goes before the, goes before the Lord. Friends, sacrifices are dead. The spotless lamb sacrificed at the altar was slain before it was laid out before the Lord as an offering. We discovered last week that Jesus Christ became the lamb that was slain once for all. Therefore, we can become living sacrifices instead of dead sacrifices. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that he's made a way. Next, number three. says that this is your true and proper worship. Other translations say things like your spiritual service of worship. And some translations say your reasonable service. Without getting into a long exploration into the theology of worship, which I would just love to do, I believe that this verse points us to a life and a lifestyle in which we give ourselves daily as an offering unto the Lord. The connotation here is that it is a normal thing for a believer to become a living sacrifice. It is a normal thing for a disciple, for a follower, for a saved person, one who's under the mercy umbrella, to daily present themselves as a living sacrifice before the Lord. To, to be a to be a sweet-smelling incense unto the Lord. 
to, to not only be acceptable to be in his presence, but to be a shining light to the world around us. In the temple or the tabernacle, there rose a pillar of smoke or a pillar of fire by day. And that pillar, as it raised up before the Lord, was visible to the children of Israel. I'm a student of Moses' tabernacle. When Ron and I eventually hang a few things in the office over here, you'll peek in and you'll see a wonderful artist's rendering of the tabernacle of Moses. And the high point of that artist's rendering is a pillar of fire coming out of the top of the tent. A constant reminder every day to the children of Israel of the presence of God who was with them. And the tent, the tabernacle, was the way, the pattern into his presence. Someday we're going to dive into that together. It's a normal thing for a believer to become a sacrifice. In essence, to be presented before the Lord. I contend that the only way to become Christ-like, the only way to enter into transformation, the only way to be in that process seriously is to daily present ourselves before the Lord. So what does that look like? How do we go about living a living sacrifice kind of life, friends? Well, that's what we're going to explore over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Number four. We must seek Nonconformity. Paul teaches here that the living sacrifice life does not look like a normal life. The living sacrifice life does not conform to how others are living in a society. How you doing? We are not to conform to the pattern, somebody say pattern, to the pattern of this world. I've thought a lot this week about the pattern or patterns of this world. When I say world, I'm not thinking of the Rocky Mountains and the Himalaya Mountains and the Pacific Ocean. We're talking about people. Thousands and millions and billions of people. Paul says we're not conform to conform to the pattern of this world. What are some of the patterns of living that are normal these days. 
We will talk more about this as we venture into our series over the next several weeks. I believe that we can look at several patterns of this world, of this society, to which we should not conform. Let me mention just one as part of this message. Self-centeredness. This is a pattern of life that so many people in our world find themselves. It is a lifestyle in which our priority is always looking out for number one, ourselves. I hate that phrase. That's a phrase we've heard a lot in the last number of years, isn't it? Looking out for no, I'm just looking out for number one. I'm just taking care of myself. It is the opposite of loving one another or preferring one another over ourselves. I think sometimes we use the word selfish in reference to little kids. <laughs> we see them wanting all the toys, wanting all the candy. We see little kids wanting all the attention. And when, and, and when another kid seems to be getting some of those things, look out. Huh? I think selfishness that we see in young children is clear evidence of the sin nature that is born in us. Next time you hear, she took mine. Just remember it's child was born with that. It's clear evidence of the sin nature that is born in all of us. In most cases, these kids are too young to have been taught to look out for number one. Most of us begin life with a self-centered mindset. That self-centered mindset and attitude continues throughout many of our lives. Paul says not to conform to this pattern that is so common in our lives. Unless, unless there's a turnaround that takes place in your life, your self-centeredness will dominate from womb to the tomb. You will live life focused on taking care of number one. How you doing? Taking care of number one. This pattern is, is, is the root of so many other patterns that we've seen. It, it, it's like if we wanted to to put some, uh, some, uh, some categories of patterns of, that we should not conform to. I think self-centeredness could be one of those categories, and below that would be all these other things that manifest themselves because of the self-centered nature of our lives. Conflict is under the category of self-centeredness in our lives. 
many crimes that we see in society are under the category, the overall category, of self-centeredness in our lives. Broken relationships are under the category so many times of self-centeredness, selfishness in our lives. Paul says don't conform to that pattern. But number five, Paul gives us an antidote to conformity, transformation. Go back a second. How do we cure self-centeredness? Transformation. How do we cure self-centeredness? Now, if I ask for a raise of hands to everybody in this room that maybe struggles just a little bit from time to time with self-centeredness, I think if you were honest, there'd be a lot of hands raised. This whole nature of this society, you guys, this whole nature of this society is built around self-centeredness. Climbing the corporate ladder. Taking care of number one. Not being offended. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Paul gives us the antidote, the cure. The word here, transformation, is from the Greek metamorphos. Ever heard that before? Metamorphos. And the idea of metamorphosis is to be changed completely and fully. Fully and completely changed. The scientific word metamorphosis in the dictionary literally means a change of the form or nature of a thing or person into a completely different one by natural or supernatural means. <laughs> I think it's interesting that, the, that, the, that, the, that whoever wrote that particular definition in, in, the, in the dictionary included at the end by natural or supernatural means. I think that person has seen some supernatural godly transformation in people. Like that brother we saw on a video. Whoever wrote that had a little inkling that it's just not nature that does this. It's a supernatural force at work. To, to be able to be changed completely, to be able to be changed fully, to be able to be changed in transformation. We are talking radical change here. Complete change. Total change. Caterpillar into butterfly type change. Amen. <laughs> when we were kids in our little small town in Pennsylvania each summer, we would capture a few caterpillars. You'd, you'd, see them, you'd see them on a branch or climbing up a, 
climbing up the side of a tree, you know. Some of them were real fuzzy. They said that if they were really fuzzy and there was a particular color that we were about to have a, ru a, a rough winter, I don't know. We would, uh, we would catch a few caterpillars. We would keep them in a jar or maybe in a small aquarium. Then we'd watch them trying to see the start of making cocoons. At seven or eight years old, we didn't have much patience. <laughs> and, and we were not very skilled at creating the right atmosphere by which the caterpillar could grow and thrive and start their transformation, metamorphosis. I, I don't know that we ever saw any of them transform, metamorphize into a beautiful monarch butterfly. I don't know that we, we didn't have that level of patience or skill. But let me tell you, God has all the patience that, he, that we need. God has all the patience that we need. And, and he will set the atmosphere by which we can grow and we can change. God will also supply the spiritual food by which we can grow and thrive and transform. We did not know how to do that as seven or eight year, year olds. We didn't know how to feed the caterpillar so that he might get to the point of transformation. But I'm here to tell you that God by his spirit knows how to transform your life by spiritual food so you can grow into what he wants to display you as, and that is his glory. Thank God for his patience. Any of y'all need the patience of God in your life? Number six. Here's a duh. Change is hard. And the key to transformation it's changed thinking. Changed thinking. How, how can I change? How can I enter a process of personal metamorphosis? I so appreciated the words of, of this young man named John on our, on our testimony when he said, I wanted to change. I, there was a desire in me to be a better person person. I wanted to change, but I was unsuccessful here, and then I was unsuccessful here, and then I changed, and then I changed my location and my vocation, and I joined the service, and I was unsuccessful there. I wanted to change, but I could not do it. I couldn't change. How do we change? The key to transformation is changed thinking. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago in one of our sessions in Philippians. In verse 2, Paul calls it the renewing of our minds. We are transformed by the renewal of our minds. Our minds begin to think differently. 
in transformation, we convert to a new way of thinking. Guess what? We'll talk more about that in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Are you beginning to see that there's, there's some preaching that uh, could be done on this subject? Thank you for your patience. Number seven. Pastor, did you ever preach a seven-point sermon that was this short? We're going to be out of here in good time. <laughs> seven-point sermon. Some preacher said to you, I got seven points in my sermon. You're like, oh, sorry, sorry. Number seven, let's get started. <laughs> let's get started. Now, I say that. And I'm not talking about let's get started in this series. That's obvious. Yes, let's get started on this series. I'm excited about it. But here's the starting point. Look, transformed lives begin with the gospel. Amen. We said at the beginning of this session, transformation is not for the unsaved. Transformation occurs in saved people. Romans 16, 16, great verse. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone that believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. There's, there's a power in the gospel. There, there, there's, there, there's a power to, to save and a power to redeem and there is a power to change. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation. Verse 17 of Romans uh, 16, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That sounds like transformation to me. Friends, the power of the gospel is the starting point of transformation. The power of the gospel is the starting point of transformation. You've got to start there. Remember our buddy John on the video? John said, I tried to get better. I couldn't get better. And then one day, one day, the power of the gospel came into my life, and I was able to begin to transform, and now I am a transformed person still I think if, if John, I, I kind of wished he would have continued the video a little longer. So what, what's happening now, John? Where are you at now? You know what John would say? John would say, I'm still being transformed. I'm still being changed. God is still working. He's still working on me. The power of the gospel is a starting point. It brings salvation to all who believe. As we said last week, Remember? All processes have a starting point. Last week we said clearly that if you believe in Jesus and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Remember that from last week? That's a starting point. We have to have a starting point. Have any of you ever painted a wall? I've always wondered what is the best place to start when you paint a wall. I think there are a lot of different opinions on that subject. Some folks start with the edges and edge the trim. That's the part I hate. Give me a roller and let me. 
clearly the starting point of personal godly transformation is the gospel message. You know, sometimes we think things are complicated. Sometimes we think faith is complicated. That there are a whole lot of things that you need to understand. Well, there are a whole lot of things that God wants you to understand, but the starting point is real simple. And that is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that God has raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Starting, starting point. Gentlemen, start your engines. As we start into a deep dive on the concept of godly transformation, I would like you to do some self-examination. Before we teach on transformation, we need to have some self-examination. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I would suggest that you start with asking God to begin to work in your heart and your mind, maybe with some questions, such as, what was life like before I met Jesus? I think it's worth going back and thinking about for a moment. The question, what has changed since my life, in my life since I began following Jesus? What has changed in my life since I began following Jesus? That's worth some self-consideration, friends. Maybe the hardest, what needs to change? That's the hard one. What needs to change? chosen a theme song that will be our theme song throughout this series. I like to do stuff like that. It helps us to, to ingrain in our minds some thoughts and some concepts. And uh, also we'll learn a new song. And that's not so bad. Uh, some of you may know this, may have heard it before. But uh, this is going to be our theme song throughout the series. Mike, please. 